Welcome to Sound Action Beyond the Bubble. I'm Jordan Anderson, and we're here to spotlight community partners who bring services and important ideas to the South Sound, while also highlighting how Puget Sound loggers and other community members can take part in their efforts. It's being cognizant enough, you don't have to do it all, right? We don't get through this alone, we get through this together. That was Michelle Douglas. She's the CEO of Emergency Food Network, or EFN. Michelle joined us today to explain EFN's role in Pierce County, their history, and how they are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Prior to meeting Michelle, I knew relatively little about EFN, but I got the impression that it is a sprawling organization. I learned from Michelle exactly what EFN does and how they serve so many people. Um, Emergency Food Network acts as the distribution center for the entire community. So on, when we're operating normally, we have about 82 food pantries that we, and hot meal sites that we serve. And really what we are able to do because of our location and the size of our facility and our fleet and those kinds of things is take in food in large volumes. So for example, if a truckload of bananas was coming in and it went to an individual food pantry, that would swamp them, right? All they'd have to eat for months is bananas. But when it comes to us and we can divide by 80 different sites, it really means that a lot of sites get access to that food that they wouldn't be able to accept individually, but that also um, that food gets distributed throughout the entire county, which just increases access and equity. So um, what EFN does is we distribute about 14 million pounds of Pierce County into Pierce County annually. Um, and that looks like we're the provider for all of the government food in the county. Um, we do all the pass-through for um, state funding. Um, we also do donated products. So we receive about 11 million pounds of donated product in a year um, that we pass out to the community. And then we buy over a million pounds of food as well. We have a co-op buying program, which is really focused on buying the staples. So we buy rice, oats, beans, canned fruit, canned vegetable, a protein, uh, and then uh, milk. One of the things that's been helpful about that is it allows food pantries to know that they can always get those core products. Um, one of the things that EFN is really known for is taking a dollar's worth of donation and leveraging it into five meals. And the way that we do that is because we have about 2,800 volunteers in a year and we buy those products in huge volume. So we might buy it in a giant 100, 200, 300 pound bulk box. And then our volunteers come in and repack it into family size bags. And we provide those bags with cooking instructions in Russian, English, and Spanish so that we can get it out to communities that really need it, but might not be familiar with it. Not everybody knows what a slow cook oat is. So that's been really helpful. Um, we also have a farm out in the Puyallup Valley called Mother Earth Farm. And out there last year, we grew 160,000 pounds of fresh fruits and vegetables. And that's a direct distribution to food pantries. So about 16, in the height of the summer, about 16 different food pantries come out on a weekly basis and pick up fresh produce from us directly. That's been an amazing program for us as far as increasing access for the community to fresh fruits and vegetables. Typically it's from field to the end use client within 48 hours. So that's pretty amazing. And then also we really look at that as part of our advocacy for food sovereignty. So we traditionally farm that program with women from the WCCW. So the Washington Women's Correctional Facility 
and about nine women in a typical year come out and spend the year gardening with us. Um, for a lot of those women, it's the first time they've ever had a garden. Um, it also provides them with work references and work experience. And it's really, when we talk about food sovereignty, it's a piece that can never be taken away. Once you know how to grow food, you know how to grow food forever. I asked Michelle about the origins of EFN and how it has developed since the beginning. We've been in existence for more than 30 years, and we were originally conceived as a short-term solution to a short-term uh, problem. So there was a large financial downturn. Um, there was a need for being able to receive product in a, in a large distribution model. Um, and EFN was conceived as a way to bring in food to the county and then get it distributed out to partners. And we started with very few partners. Um, it was kind of a way for collective buying and collective distribution and sourcing. Um, but the idea was that we would never be a long-term solution. And what we've learned over the years is uh, the distribution part, that ability to take in food in large quantity and redistribute it, is crucial to the network surviving. Pierce County is very large and very sprawling. Um, so, you know, we have some unique challenges here that not every county that distributes food has, um, you know, and it's about access and buses and just all kinds of pieces. And what we've been able to do is some of our furthest out sites like Eatonville and Ording and so forth don't have the capacity to raise funds necessarily in their communities. They're already pretty strapped. And so what I really think EFN does is help promote equity. So for example, in the month of May, we typically receive about 280,000 pounds of food in with the letter carrier's food drive. That's a one day event. Um, unfortunately, this year it's had to be postponed because of what's happening in the world. But I just, I think that's an excellent example. So if you think about Eatonville or Ording or Graham, all of those sites, they're not gonna raise very much food in their community because there's just not that many people, right? We might raise 130,000 pounds in downtown Tacoma alone. So when we think about equity and how we get resources out, what EFN does is really allow those furthest areas in the county that are the most isolated to also benefit from the advantages. Um, and we see that with food, uh, we see that with some funding. Um, it provides a, a, cent a centralized hole where people understand what we do and they're able to approach us in a way that is efficient and um, low cost and just, I think, you know, kind of the game changer in, in order to be able to make our marketplace worth working with. Michelle was recently appointed to CEO of EFN and I was able to ask what experiences brought her to the position that she currently holds. So I've been the CEO for EFN for the last year and a half. And prior to that, for two years, I was the deputy director. Um, and I came into the role as deputy director knowing our previous CEO, uh, Helen McGovern Pilot, was planning on retiring um, and knowing that that was a job I was really interested in. Really, I've had a long-term commitment to food justice. So I started my early career in the hospitality industry. I have decades in the hospitality industry. I used to own my own restaurant in Hilltop. Um, 
and I worked for the Rainbow Center. I was their executive director for seven years and was really focused on LGBTQ rights. And I really um, have a long time history of being steeped in social justice. And I see food, as I said, as one of the fundamental social justice issues of our time. And I just, I don't fundamentally believe until we can get people housed and fed that we are gonna make that much improvement as a society. People's basic needs need to be met. It's really hard to get empathy and all of those pieces when you don't have your basic, basic needs met. And I, I think if this, this crisis has taught us one thing is that nonprofits are the backbone of our safety net for the country. Um, and that we were already stretched and under-resourced long before this started. And so when we think about what recovery looks like, we need to bring those groups with us. EFN was originally meant to address a temporary crisis. Being in another state of emergency, I was curious as to how EFN's needs have changed. So the USDA predicts that um, the need for emergency food is going to double to quadruple during this time. And so we've already seen it, right? Over 675,000 people have applied for unemployment in Washington state. Um, we see so many people that are you know, currently out of business or shut down permanently. So there's gonna be a huge shift to the landscape. But what was already happening is really important to understand here. So in 2019, there were 1,300,000 visits to food pantries. And that stayed pretty consistent. We've never really gone down to the levels before the 2008 financial crisis. So in 2020, just in January and February, we were already up 40,000 visits from 2019. So we were already seeing the impact of what was to come. Like people were already struggling. Brookings Institute says that 40% of Americans do not have the money to handle a $400 emergency. So that might be like your tooth is infected or your car breaks down or any of those things, right? Well, that emergency happened the second week in March. And here we are in mid-April. And so there, there's a lot of competing things happening right now. The, the need for food pantries is going up, but that's not the only place that we're looking. So we're doing, we have what we're calling this very combined approach right now. So normal EFN distribution is to 82 food pantries. You know, we bring in about 14 million pounds of food and we distribute it, but that is nowhere near enough to meet the predicted need. So we've really branched out. One thing that we're doing is pop-up sites. So we are doing distribution in ways that we just haven't typically done before. So these are through people or groups that are not traditionally served through the food pantry or that we don't have a long-term food pantry relationship with. And I think the most successful of that is the Puyallup Tribe. Right? The Puyallup Tribe's been very successful in our community. You know, we, we have their casinos. We've been fortunate to work with them for a long time. But their casinos are closed, right? The governors stay home, stay healthy. They have abided by that as well, and they want to protect their population. Well, it has created a huge need. So we started with them about four weeks ago, and um, they decided that they were so committed to this that they would, would allocate staffing resources to help us do this because we don't have the capacity. We have the capacity to get the food 
and to bring you the food, but we don't necessarily have the capacity to stay on site and distribute the food. So it's really a symbiotic relationship, right? So we take them the food or they pick it up from us and then they have worked out this entire staging system in order to distribute food. So they start with their elders, then they work on to their folks that have disabilities, then their low income, and they open it up to the community. So the first week we, we thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how many we can serve. And we served about 400 families. This week, you know, the second distribution, uh, we, they served 600 families. I mean, there was a four block line at one point. And so really that's the power of leveraging each other's resources, right? They might not necessarily have the food. We might have the food to give them, but we don't have the people power in order to distribute it to a one-on-one -on -one basis, but they have the people power. So that's one of the things we're doing. And we're doing this with a lot of different, you know, particular groups. So like we have another one that we're doing at Tacoma Community House that's particularly geared towards the Latinx community. We have a um, 160 unit housing uh, for seniors in downtown Tacoma that we're providing weekly food boxes to. So we're trying to think of ways outside of the box to do distribution that allow us to work with the limited resources that we have but maximize the benefit to the community. So that's one area that we're doing. The next area is we've totally upped our advocacy efforts. So when we talk about SNAP benefits and continuing SNAP benefits and reducing barriers to SNAP benefits and additional dollars to SNAP benefits, we are advocating for that every day. And part of that is because SNAP is a multiplier in the community. So it acts as a $1.70 multiplier uh, every time it's used into the grocery store. So, you know, and that's in grocery store wages, that's in food product buying power, all of those things. So we need to keep people at the grocery store. They cannot only be dependent on the food pantry because the food pantry can't meet a four times the normal volume need. So we're advocating for those things. The other thing that we're doing is through our Mother Earth Farm, we're growing thousands and thousands of vegetable starts. So it is really our belief that food sovereignty and disrupting the supply chain is the way we are all going to get through this. Um, we need to grow our own food in our community, right? We can grow food for our families, we can grow food for our neighbors, and then we can grow an extra round of food for the food pantry. And when we start to look at bringing food into the community, that is a way to do it that is both good for the environment, I, I mean, there, there's no carbon footprint on going to your backyard, right? So it's good for the environment, it also it connects people to food, and it gives them long-term food sovereignty. So our belief is by bringing thousands of starts into the community and really promoting Victory Gardens and helping people learn how to grow food, that it's, it's kind of a revolution that we're staging right here in you know, Pierce County. It's a food revolution that's happening, but it is gonna take creative ideas to get us out of this situation. So we're also you know, sponsoring other groups like uh, Food is Free to build more garden beds in Pierce County that are the whole design is to be shared with your neighbors. Um, so that's part of our advocacy thing. And then when we're looking at individuals, this is not, this kind of isolation is not short term for a lot of our community. So no matter when stay home, stay home, stay healthy is lifted, there will still be a large group in our community that cannot safely go out. So how do we look at long-term service for them? So we're looking at delivery models for individuals. Um, we're looking at you know, low income senior apartment complexes that need more resources. And we're trying to figure out how do we get that down to the individual. Long before COVID happened, 
service to individuals at home was already an issue in Pierce County. And so EFN is trying to look at long-term solutions for that. One of EFN's goals is to provide diverse and nutritious food for their clients. I asked Michelle how she balances quality with quantity for such a large community. Currently, when we buy food, it's very much close to paying what retailers pay. Food is very expensive. The commodities market has been very disrupted by what has happened. So it's difficult to source food. And where typically we might have a two-week time till it came in, food that we're ordering right now is arriving in June. So there's just a large lag in time. We try to buy in large volume so that we can, um, you know, maximize our dollar. Uh, and we use volunteers to do the repack then. But what's happening right now is that we're trying to really thoughtfully look at food that's good for the unhomed. So when we think about like protein and things like that, so much of it is dependent on refrigeration and freezing. And that just does not work for our unhomed population. So for example, uh, next week we have an entire truckload of food coming in that's protein packed. So, you know, it's chili that has meat in it. It's ravioli. It's things like that that can be eaten directly from a can. Um, and while that may not be like my view of what's the most healthy and nutritious food out there, it is food that is practical for people that are struggling with basic needs. When we talk about social justice issues of our time, the two biggest ones are housing and food. Um, and we, when you have a, a crisis like this, you really see what that means in community. Um, so we also, at our farm, when we grow food, we go out every fall and we ask our food pantry clients what they want to, what they want to receive. Like one of the things that we talk about at EFN is food is home. And so we ask people, what do they miss? You know, are they from a particular part of the country? Are they, have they immigrated from somewhere? Is there a food that means home to them? And we try to specialize in growing it. When you think about what's available in the grocery store, I mean, some grocery stores have great variety, but hand in hand with poverty, we often see areas that are actually food deserts. So there's very little fresh produce there, nonetheless produce that's culturally appropriate. Uh, in a crisis like this, it feels like from where I'm sitting right now that equity is one of the first things to go. And when I say that, what I mean is we knew right away we weren't going to be able to support a self-select model, you know, like a grocery store model in food pantries that we couldn't safely do it. But when I think about it, more resources means you still get to go to the grocery store and pick out what you specifically want to eat, right? And when we talk about dignity and we talk about like, you know, so maybe you're lactose intolerant, but we've put powdered milk in your box. Um, and I don't know kind of where the line is on that. And I've, I've found myself having some hard conversations about how we maintain culturally appropriate and equity in a situation like this. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think that we have a great answer yet. Um, and I think there's a lot of work to do on that. Um, poverty and a lack of access to food really, really limits how many choices you get to make. Being so new to her organization's work myself, I asked Michelle if there are any misconceptions that people often harbor about EFM. I think there's still an incredible quantity of stigma associated with using the food pantry. Um, I think that people have belief system 
um, that in some way people have not tried hard enough and that's why they need to access the food pantry. And I, I just think that we are reluctant to really look at what it means to make minimum wage in our country, to look at whether you could actually live on that in Pierce County. Um, and we're reluctant to believe that there's so many people that do not have the basic resources that they need. And um, it is an unequal playing field out there. And, and we, until we can acknowledge that, I, I'm really, I really have a lot of trepidation about how we move forward. One of the things that's been brought to my attention through this is the question of how do people access food pantries that have never had to before? Because right for a lot of people right now, this is the first time they've ever been to a food pantry, um, which is in the first place is like, that's an interesting question for me. What does it mean for people to uh, need the food pantry that have never needed it before? And how do they get to it? So like from a, a purely, you know, publicity or social media point of view, how do you advertise those resources is an interesting question and something that we're tackling. But it's also the stigma that goes with it, right? What does it mean for people that all along held a belief about a kind of a fundamental belief, like, well, I've never had to use that, but now have to? Um, what does it mean for them? And what does it mean for our society that, that we have so much judgment about that? In the midst of our current crisis, have you noticed a change in the communities and social groups that you serve? Because of the way our agency works, we don't see, you know, the end use client as often. So really our clients are typically the food pantry managers. Um, but I, I will say with the pop-up situation, we get to talk much more closely to people who are using our services. And um, I think what I've been so amazed by and what I would want you to know about people is that there are a tremendous amount of helpers out there, right? Like people are rising up to help. I wrote a post this week to some of our funders and I said, you know, you're not here. So you don't, you don't get to see what I get to see, right? Which is the people dropping off handmade masks, you know, a couple times a week, you know, the quilters guild showing up with, 50 more masks for our food pantries. You know, the calls that I get on a Sunday night, hey, we've got hand sanitizer to share with the food pantries. Um, the people that show up with bags of groceries, um, just all of those things. And, and I would say that for people that are coming to us, there's a space for you here, right? Like there is a judgment-free space for you here. I never worry about, I speak a lot in public and people often ask me questions, you know, well, I saw they were getting into a really nice car. Or how do you know they really need food? And, and I never worry about that. Right. I, I believe that if people are coming to the food pantry, that for whatever reason, that is frankly, none of my business, um, they need food that day. And, and I feel privileged and blessed to be in a position where I can help them get it. Right. I, I think that part of our opportunity through this crisis is to suspend our disbelief about other people's stories and just take it at face value. If someone needs assistance, what if we just gave it to them and did not require them to jump through a million hoops and to justify and explain, but let them self-determine what they need and then helped them to get it. You had mentioned that you were getting extra staffing resources. 
I see. But we have brought on extra staff to, to Emergency Food Network. This, this kind of distribution requires more than we have. We operate very lean normally. Um, and it's not that we're not operating neat, lean still. It's just the volume of work has increased three times what it was before this happened. Where do you usually source your staff and how has that changed? Yeah, so we, we source our staff. Um, we usually put it out to all the schools, including yours. Uh, we put it out through um, uh, Indeed. Uh, sometimes we use Craigslist. Uh, for our farm, we often go out through Good, good Farms, um, just different resources like that. And I, I think, you know, we also have been really fortunate in community to have partners like you all who have helped us with interns over the years, right? Interns are often a way that you can supplement your staff portfolio, um, bring in new ideas and fresh perspectives, um, and just plain raw talent, um, and, and really make it into a great benefit for both the student and the employer. For myself and our listeners, where do you start on the journey to volunteering for EFM? So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. It will really depend when this airs <laughs> because right now, currently we're not bringing volunteers into EF and, and that is partially because emergency food network is the emergency response for food for the entire County. So we're really trying to limit how much risk and exposure there is at our facility. Um, so while we're in this stay home, stay healthy, we're not utilizing volunteers at our main warehouse the same way that we previously have. We are also looking at our volunteer program in light of the new guidance. So currently we have groups of five volunteers at a time working uh, six shifts a week out at the farm, out at Mother Earth Farm. And then, um, you know, towards the end of May, beginning of June, we'll start to bring limited groups of volunteers back into our warehouse to do repacks. Uh, but really what we see as the best way to support volunteering in Pierce County at this moment is to ask you to reach out to your local food pantry. So for example, the Food Connection in downtown Tacoma, Eloise's Cooking Pot over on the east side, both of them need a lot of volunteers. The typical volunteer force before COVID was about 70 um, on, a, on average for age, and a lot of them have had to, you know, kind of step out of volunteering for this time in order to stay safe. So it's really an opportunity for groups like the, you know, yours for students and so forth to step into that gap. And it's, it's much, much needed. The other thing that we have currently going is the National Guard is here with us through May. And we don't know after that. But, you know, when there are no longer guard resources, the new model for food delivery is incredibly labor intensive. So in a traditional food pantry, you would go through and shop like at a supermarket. But in this time, we can't maintain that um, because people are too close together. Uh, there's not enough, you know, facility space, all of that. So we've moved to a pre-box model where you pull up, you say how many households you are, how many are in your household. We'd pass no paper back and forth. We have a temporary moratorium on reporting requirements through the month of June. And you pop your trunk and we put the food in it. Or you come up to a walk-up table and you take your food away in a box just to try to minimize contact. You know, when you think about trying to stay six feet away from people in a food pantry, it is impossible. It is just not a large enough facility. So 
our model has really changed, but packing all of those food boxes is really labor intensive. So for those of us who would like to volunteer or donate, we should be in touch with our local food pantry? Well, we'd say that you could donate um, to us. Uh, you know, we take a dollar and we leverage it into five meals and we disperse it to all the food pantries. You also could donate to your local food pantry. Um, and then volunteering, we really encourage you to hook up with United Way. They're running comprehensive lists of everybody that needs volunteers in Pierce County right now. So uh, they really stepped into that gap as a foundation partner where so many of us had our capacities so stretched during this initial response um, that they've been really generous to try to help coordinate us on a clearinghouse of areas to, to get volunteering figured out. We asked Michelle to share some broader thoughts about food justice and the current pandemic. In Pierce County, we have 60,000 kids that are on free and reduced lunch. And every June and July, they hit the food pantry. Um, and it's our lowest time of year for donations. And so um, with that in mind, and knowing that those kids are already at the food pantry, I'm going to ask you to join us. So our usual tagline is, can you do one thing to impact hunger in Pierce County? And this year, I'm going to ask you to just think even bigger than that. Whether it's making a donation to us or to one of our food pantry partners, whether it's donating food to us or one of our food pantry partners, whether it's volunteering uh, out in the community or with us, or whether it is growing food. This is really the opportunity for all of us to take one tiny step, one, just one, maybe two if you can really do it, and help your neighbors in need. Uh, the landscape ahead is, is unknown, but I can tell you, like the predictions that I'm seeing are, we are gonna see this impact for one to two years, one to two years minimum. And what that means for us is we're gonna need your support for the long haul. It means that we need to be creative about advocating for our community members that need SNAP benefits. It means that we're gonna to need to continue to, to work with our um, local governments to increase food dollars. We're gonna to need to do all of those things in order to get through this for the long haul. But the need is not gonna end. When Stay Home, Stay Healthy lifts, that does not change how many people are gonna need the food pantry. This is, this is a long, long period ahead of us and we are going to need all of you to work with us in order to get through it. So please do at least one thing, if not two things, in order to help us help our neighbors in need. Thank you. I want to thank Michelle for sharing her insight, our team at the Office of Experiential Learning for their support, and our listeners for tuning in. This has been Sound Action Beyond the Bubble.